0: Welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at the Institute and your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is a presentation of Election 2020 and the future of entrepreneurship and innovation in Delaware, a webinar conducted on November 18, 2020 with four panelists. Ariel Grzwitz, Director of Innovation with the Delaware Prosperity Partnership. Danita Henderson, Associate State Director of Delaware's Small Business Development Center, which is a unit within the University of Delaware's Office of Economic Innovation and Partnerships. Bill Provine, President and CEO of the Delaware Innovation Space. And Jason Rittenberg, Policy and Development Director of the State Science and Technology Institute. We reviewed the current federal policy, Landscape for Science and Innovation, considered how election results may impact this landscape, and discuss short and long-term opportunities for entrepreneurs, innovators, and policymakers in Delaware. Let's join the webinar in progress. I want to share a few initial thoughts to frame our conversation. One basic thought, uh, federal policy around entrepreneurship and innovation frames kind of what the local opportunities are. And some states and organizations take different approaches to kind of exploiting this landscape of entrepreneurship and innovation. So I hope you view today as an opportunity to learn about uh, what that policy landscape is and kind of consider some possibilities for continuously improving the innovation ecosystem in Delaware. Uh, And we just had uh, national and state elections and candidates have different preferred options. In terms of how to incentivize entrepreneurship and innovation. The results of those elections in terms of the candidates that won and the divided government, uh, for example, may impact uh, the ability to implement any one party's or candidate's agenda around these topics. So it's worth reflecting on what was proposed and what seems possible over the next several months and few years. And the goal for today is to really take a chance as a statewide community to reflect on what kind of windows of opportunities are there right now, created by this transition, by new leadership, things that might lead to us acting differently, designing new programs aimed at securing and expanding Delaware's competitive advantages in entrepreneurship and innovation. So I'm going to start off with a question for Jason. He's our expert who traveled furthest, at least virtually, to be here today. So thank you, Jason, for joining us, first of all. And to, to set the stage for our discussion today, I wonder if you could give us kind of a big picture overview of the major federal programs and what I'll call kind of policy levers, whether that's you know, more funding, executive orders, things like that, uh, that really impact the entrepreneurship and innovation world.
1: Well, thank you, Troy, for having me, and I'll also go ahead and start off by saying that I will do my best to make sure that I'm not getting into too much jargon on either the policy or innovation side, but please feel free to interrupt me if um, there's something that maybe won't be clear for people. So to give people a good frame from how SSTI is approaching innovation entrepreneurship and federal policy, our focus is on strengthening initiatives to create a better future through science, technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship. And so what we're focused on is when you start off with new ideas and technologies that are being developed in a lab, how do you first get them to the market? And so there's a lot of legal and then also some technical processes that have to occur to be able to help that transition to actually happen. And then once you have a new innovation in the marketplace, what is there to support the entrepreneur, to support the business, to actually get that Um, into a new product, into a service, to help that company grow to the point they can create new jobs? And how do you help people be prepared to be able to fill those new positions so that they can get better employment? So broadly speaking, then, that's quite a lot of um, activity that we're interested in is this continuum of what we're talking about when we refer to innovation, entrepreneurship. And state, local, and certainly the federal government play a very important role in this process. When you're talking particularly federal government provides a lot of R&D funding, and that's both at universities and at national labs, including entities like the manufacturing institutes. And obviously, you have one here in Delaware. So they're really important centers to generate ideas. But then where SSTI comes in and particularly focuses on is what's the support to, again, make that transition to the marketplace and how are you scaling those companies? And so one of the key programs is the Small Business Innovation Research Program. And that's also known as SBIR or America's Seed Fund. So that's really the federal government's most substantial investment. It's a few billion dollars a year that particularly focuses on the technical development side. I'll acknowledge, and I think his staff is uh, on the call today, that Senator Coons has done a really good job of trying to help modernize that program and be able to make it work not only on the tech development side, but also on the commercial application of programs. Um, But that's a relatively new effort that's still getting underway. Um, More traditionally, Programs like the Build to Scale model at the Economic Development Administration and the Clusters FAST and Accelerators programs at the Small Business Administration. Those are some of the core programs we're looking at because what they do is they really leverage some of the knowledge and expertise of what's happening at the state and local level to be able to expand the capacity of those existing support organizations, you know, groups like those represented by my co-panelists here today. So they can have more resources to work with to help get more ideas um, again into the market and then help entrepreneurs be able to scale their companies more effectively. So those are some of the key ones. As you said, and I'll, I'll wrap up my comments here. You know, when we were looking at ways that you can affect these programs, there's certainly a lot of very important annual appropriations to make sure the programs continue to increase, be able to fund more organizations is a key component. Programs have to be authorized as well. So there are different committees that get involved in making sure that. Either new programs are created or existing programs are allowed to continue to exist or get new direction from Congress. There can be activities done through regulation as well. It depends more on the program for when and how that's relevant. And so it starts to get into the weeds pretty quickly. But those are all important ways to try to address innovation policy from the federal level.
0: Thanks for that, Jason. I want to bring the other panelists in here to kind of reflect on in their work uh, in this space what programs do your organizations relate to and what do your clients relate to and what kind of efforts in Delaware do these programs fund? If I could throw it to Danita first, that'd be great.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Troy. And uh, so I represent the small business development center and we're a unit at the university of Delaware and the office of economic innovation and partnerships. Um, But as an SBDC, We are a federally funded and federally legislated entity. So when you ask about how do we interact with um, the federal landscape, we are, in fact, um, part of the entire resource network that has been set up by the federal government to support small business development, innovation and entrepreneurship. And so over 40 years ago, SBDCs were funded and founded throughout the country um, in every state and U.S. territory. Uh, to make sure that businesses had on the ground access to one on one advising and training to start and grow their businesses, with our designation as an SBDC, we are in a unique position in many cases to take advantage of other federal funding opportunities, such as the FAST Grant. There are a lot of acronyms out there. Um, so FAST is the Federal and State Technology Grant, and so we're we're a multiple uh, year awardee. Uh, under the federal FAST program. And that gives us the opportunity to focus heavily on what Jason referenced, um, which would be um, small business innovation research grants or SBIR grants. And so through our funding, we're able to set up what we call an SBIR resource program. Um, we have an idea lab that allows us to, you know, do what Jason also referred in the way of getting ideas to market. Um, so we're we're really excited to be able to participate and and connect to federal programs and bring those resources to Delaware.
0: And Bill, could you tell us a little bit about what's going on in the Delaware innovation space relative to some of the, some of these programs?
3: Yeah. No. Great. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, appreciate the, the opportunity to speak here today. For those who don't know, the Delaware innovation space and maybe just. Paint the picture in terms of innovation and how important that is to driving business growth here and through startup companies. You know, we I sit here today at the experimental station, which we all know is a you know 116 year old property. You know, innovation hub that created many many jobs within Delaware. It started from very small entrepreneurial Dupont, right, and grew up and spun out new entrepreneurs such as you know Gore and and, and other folks have created um, you know, companies like Insight and others. So, um, it's about you know, us connecting with the strengths of other people, right? One of that is with, in partnership, as Danita mentioned, with the EDA. Uh, the EDA has funded capital renovation, So, we've taken a, a kind of a building and a half here at, at this great innovation complex, which is a true jewel for Delaware, the experimental station, and now put it in service to entrepreneurs. So, you, you need not only the funding for an entrepreneur, you need a place to go and you need the supportive infrastructure, right? So we're all here together to build that ecosystem. And the EDA has really been a, a valuable partner in helping us to build and strengthen that ecosystem in Delaware, not only with a capital grant, as I mentioned, to improve our facilities, but we were recently also awarded, you know, a grant from the Build the Scale program, which Jason mentioned, uh, that, that's allowing us to really scale and, and broadly make available our accelerator program. We're calling Science Inc. That's a cohort-based program that will launch early next year and applications will open up for that. In the next couple of weeks, that will actually be a free program that will help entrepreneurs over a six-month period kind of build their concepts for, for that first funding. To then connect with these other programs we've talked about, which many of our clients here at the innovation space do, as science entrepreneurs, connect back in with the SBR grant process, which is so critical. And I'm so excited to hear, of course, about potential expansion with that under the Biden administration, as well as the funding and fueling of R&D. When you're dealing with science startups, you're talking about innovation, right? Innovation fuels the future. And when they, you know, of course the Biden administration talked about investing $300 billion in R&D and breakthrough technologies, uh, you know, across also fueling things to help curb climate change and of course cure disease and make sure the next vaccine that's needed occurs quickly. Right. All those things are driven through science based innovation and and many, many of those things fuel through science startup companies. And that's exactly where we're focused. Our energy is how to best support building the ecosystem with all the great people on this call today and make sure we synergize all of our opportunities and all of our capabilities. But as well as, you know, keep keep strengthening that. So we're we are the most. You know, attractive place for for startups and really capitalize on the Biden halo here in terms of the tension on Delaware. And so use that to our advantage as well as we move forward.
0: Thank you for that, Bill. Ariel, what role does DPP, the Delaware Prosperity Partnership, play in connecting these resources?
4: Yeah, sure. So thanks. Thanks for having me today, Troy. This is a great conversation and very timely Um, The Delaware Prosperity Partnership is a public-private organization that focuses on economic development in Delaware, which means really making Delaware more attractive for businesses to to grow here and to relocate here or expand here. So my focus as Director of Innovation is really on those science and technology-driven companies, everything from startups all the way to our many uh, very mature, larger employers in the state. That are science and technology driven. So it's really um, everything from on an individual level, if we have people reaching out to us that need resources, um, sending them to Danita's group um, or to Bill's group, which are federally funded in in large part um, for what often are, actually in the SBDC's case, free resources for them to learn how to grow their own business, um, whether it's on the tech side or more on the quote unquote Main Street side. So it's really, Playing that role of um, connecting people with the resources on an individual level and then also playing a role to help align all the great programs that we have, um, especially in the last few years where Delaware is really starting to play more in the innovation economy space and trying to build our infrastructure to accommodate those types of companies, those types of smaller and growing companies um, as our landscape kind of has changed a little bit from dominance by larger companies to what we call more economic gardening. So how do we grow our own companies and grow our own talent here? And we really have a lot of the great ingredients that we need for that. It's um, really just a question of how do we uh, really leverage what we have and make it um, function together more competitively so that we can Sort of um, compete successfully with, especially with our neighbor states that have really been investing in their innovation economies for many decades now. So we have a lot of great progress underway. And um, we're hopeful that, as Bill said, you know, with the Biden administration, more attention on Delaware, um, how can we use that to our advantage? And then with our new um, state and local reps that have just been voted in, Um, How can we work with them to really make sure they understand what we're doing as part of this innovation ecosystem and how they can help us complement at the state and local levels what support is coming in from the federal level?
0: That's a good segue, uh, Jason, to kind of what the nationwide picture looks like. I mean, there's a lot of choices in how you can organize yourselves as a state, uh, multiple organizations to take on entrepreneurship and innovation. And I'm sure there's some that organize in what proves to be a more effective way. They're more competitive for federal funds and programming. They win awards. Uh, what, what, from your vantage point, tend to be some of those key ingredients for those most successful ecosystems from your perspective?
1: Yeah, so certainly very important question. I mean, at the end of the day, what we think really matters when you're talking about a really effective and thriving regional innovation economy isn't necessarily what the exact mix of organizations is, whether it's one that's doing it or whether it's multiple. But I think the real key is that if you think about it from the perspective of an innovator or from an entrepreneur, can you be supported throughout that entire continuum that I mentioned before? So from the development of the idea in the lab to the transition of the technology itself into being commercially viable to then launching and scaling a company and being able to find workers. The successful regions are ones that Again, whether it's one entity or more, there's a pretty smooth transition between those programs. There are actually sources of support. Um, it might be a mix of even private sector uh, institutions of higher education, nonprofits, and government. But there is support at each of those levels, and it's really critically important because a lot of times R and D funding is really only going to focus on getting the technology to the point that you are able to write a paper, maybe have a prototype of it. You know, something like manufacturing extension partnership or a specific lab focus, you know, makerspace, but a lot of times you also see them a little bit more developed than that to be able to get through, you know, from the prototype stage to actually being able to have a viable product, doing things like customer discovery, um, certainly a lot of entrepreneurial assistance around that. Capital access is one of the challenges that many regional innovation economies fall down on, especially if you're not located in one of the, you know, essentially five cities that account for you know, roughly four-fifths of the private venture capital investment that's happening throughout the country. So when you can have those partners come together to be able to, you know, coalesce angel investors, provide, you know, a matching state fund that's going to make those investments as well as provide services, that type of thing is incredibly powerful as well. You know, and thinking about it from a competitiveness for those federal resources, because there are a lot of resources to support this. But there tends to be very high levels of competition for a lot of those awards. I think the average SBIR success rate is um, about six, So one in every six awards actually ends up getting funded. EDA's levels have varied for the Build to Scale program that Bill Center uses, but that's been between about a six and a quarter of awards typically are all that's able to get funded. So being able to show these federal agencies that you have a strategy, that you have additional resources you can bring to the table, that you have partners, those are really critically important to being competitive for, you know, at least the federal leverage points to be able to strengthen your system.
0: So it sounds like not the names of the players so, so much, but the functions that the, the, someone's doing all the functions and there's clear transitions, smooth transitions between those functions is is more important than the one magic recipe, so to speak. All right, Jason?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because we do see some states where there might be one entity that does most of it, and some that they're going to have it more split up. Um, but again, what really seems to drive it is whether the entrepreneur or innovator can easily navigate the support, and whether the support exists.
0: Yeah. So I want to think about you know the pandemic period we're all we're all going through right now is you know an opportunity to. There's been a great need on the entrepreneurship and innovation front to support. People that are in the pipeline are thinking about, uh, businesses, uh, small business development, for example, uh, and great demand on the time of a lot of the service providers in Delaware, various organizations represented here today. So I wanted, uh, the Pam Delaware panelists to reflect a little bit on how Delaware has been leaning in on trying to differentiate itself on the entrepreneurship and innovation front. What have been the real approaches where you've seen some fruit being born kind of, uh, in reaction to the challenges of COVID? Dinida, do you want to start us off again?
2: Sure, thanks, Troy. So I don't know if I made this clear early on, but because we are a resource partner of the U.S. Small Business Administration, we were called upon to serve almost in, in a first responder capacity when the pandemic hit, and so on the SBDC was given additional funding to ramp up um, resources to go remote and make sure that we remained on the front lines helping businesses. Stay afloat and survive, but in addition to survival, innovation was always um, at the core of what we needed to help businesses. I guess consider and navigate. So, how do you pivot? How do you um, institute new technologies and new approaches to doing business? New ways to access markets, maybe new ways to to secure intelligence so that you can to grow your business or sustain it. And innovation, I guess, for us in a pandemic. Space was, again, a tenant that we thought uh, needed to stay at the the core of every conversation. And so, again, we saw probably about a seven and a half times increase in requests for counseling in a very short period of time. And um, we just kind of jumped into action and started thinking about how can how can you innovate? Um, And for our technology companies, what we found was now more than ever, if you if you had something, kind of in the back of your mind, let's pull it to the forefront and let's start getting some of these innovations out um, into the community where we can um, start to build new companies and maybe explore new opportunities so that um, there was some economic foothold for our community. Lastly, what I saw was our whole entire community and ecosystem come together. So in addition to the funding we got, the state and the county received special CARES Act funding And there were numerous committees put together with state and local legislators involved, with trade associations involved, community groups, nonprofits. And what came out of some of those discussions uh, was something um, on the order of the Newcastle County Innovation Grant. That's one example of an outcome where everyone came together and said, you know, here's a good time to identify some of our leading edge innovations. And put the resources there so that we can build, and so that that was a successful um, example of what innovation in our ecosystem um, were able to accomplish. So,
0: Bill, on your your end, uh, what, was, what were some of the supports you needed to lean in on uh, as we went into the pandemic?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, part of maybe the community. I mean, I guess maybe we should take a step back and say, right, what what was driving some of the entrepreneurs and us all during you know the past twelve months? Well. You know, when you have four major crises in the world, from of course of COVID pandemic, uh, social injustice, the economy hemorrhaging, and climate change still out there but being ignored, right? That what we found with our community, what we're leaning into is that passion. Um, you know, we are seeing people, and some of them, of course, had additional time on their hands, right, in terms of lockdowns and reflective, and in, in, in these major. Changes in our external environment really are challenging people to say, "What do I really want to be when I grow up?" And I um, keep asking myself that question, right? So, people of all ages, and and people are looking at their what used to be their side hustle, and they're saying, "You know, is it time to bring that side hustle and make it the primary hustle?" Right? You know, the primary objective of my life. We are seeing actually an intensification of people both doing side hustle, but as well trying to migrate that side hustle to be their 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 front and center career move and building that new, new business. So really leaning into that and leaning into, right, the opportunity that science is, you know, you have a pandemic, science helps cure, right, vaccines and treatments and therapeutics. There's still cancer and heart disease and many other things out there, right? Climate change, right? Renewable energies, we see now with the policies they are going to help fuel that more hopefully soon, right? But it's been predominantly ignored, at least by the administration, it's still being uh, somewhat funded through the research angle of federal funding but uh, more and more, more not quite calling it exactly that. So, so to me, it's, it's to lean into, you know, what people need, what the entrepreneur needs. And with that leaning into the areas that are really going to change the world, you know, around, you know, healthcare and climate change and, and science-based innovation in general.
0: And Ariel, anything you want to add in terms of what you saw in terms of the ecosystem responding the last several months?
4: Yeah. Um, so, you know, when everything first really hit, um, obviously, as Danita said, groups like hers kind of went into that first responder mode. So an Ellen Herbert and her team at the SBA office here locally, as well as our Division of Small Business administering the CARES Act grants just to help keep those small businesses afloat. But then... Um, What we really wanted to focus on sort of keeping our eye on the longer term ball was not losing the ground that we had gained with state resources such as the edge grants over the past couple of years that our division of small business has issued to STEM and quote unquote, Main Street kind of entrepreneurs alike. And fortunately, um, despite the strain on our state budget, that edge grant can will continue to be funded in the next few years. So that was, um, that was definitely a relief because I think that's really served to um, create a large incentive because it's a substantial grant for um, STEM startups up to $100,000. So that was really a, a key resource that we were thankful that while we were making sure that um, we sort of stopped the bleeding with the immediate needs of the small business community that our state leaders still kept that priority very high for keeping things um, like the edge grants um, baked into the budget for this fiscal year and then the the coming fiscal years as well. So I think it's just making sure that we're sort of balancing those short-term and longer-term needs. And then, um, as Danita mentioned, with things like the CARES Act funding that came into the state, our community thinking, okay, this is an opportunity. You know, necessity being the mother of invention. This is where we really uh, have our feet to the fire about how do we how do we innovate here and take this opportunity to leverage all of the great science and technology brainpower that we have in our small state and come up with some really cool ideas and. Um, I think we'll, as a community, we'll start to see the fruition of some of those. But just to mention a few a few brief ones, um, I know there's a, an effort from a company called Compass Red to start a Delaware data Innovation Lab, which will be modeled off of the um, the MIT Media Lab. So really a, a huge resource for um, training in an apprenticeship type way. Um, data analytics and computer science experts and recruiting those to the area but also growing our own within Delaware and partnering with our companies locally and our local government to um, use data analytics to operate more efficiently and help businesses grow and create more jobs here. Um, And then a couple of other companies uh, that have very cool sort of nascent um, businesses here but they we're sort of able to pivot and have a coronavirus focus for some of their technologies and products that will actually solve problems for our local community, but also help create awesome new technologies that will eventually have a global market for them. So it's really um, you know, I think in six months or so, as we sort of take a take a look back at what we've been able to accomplish, Fingers crossed that everyone sort of weathers weathers the immediate storm. Um, I think we will see this as a really great opportunity for our state and also for many other parts of the country as well.
0: And certainly, some of that big opportunity is the transition that we're in right now. And I want to bring Jason back into the conversation here. Um, I guess, kind of big picture first. Uh, you know, we're transitioning from a Republican president to a Democratic president. Could you offer some insights on what kind of the typical impacts of that transition are for entrepreneurship and innovation, how it's treated at the federal level?
1: Yeah, certainly. And I'm happy to talk about what a typical transition might look like. Although I will say first, it's not clear to what extent this is going to be a typical transition. In addition to, I'm sure many people have seen, obviously, the Biden team maybe not having access to traditional resources. I'll also say that a lot of the agencies we focus on, you know, naming, before, like EDA and SBA, haven't had a deep level of change like you maybe have seen with some other agencies like in EPA or Department of Energy or Defense. And so there are some initiatives that have been running exactly the same way that they were from the Obama administrations. So, there may be less to do, perhaps, than um, what you might see typically. But when it does come to some of the core agencies that we're looking at, so EDA does not have very many political appointees, there's a, a pretty small Number that end up switching out each time there's a transition. SBA has a bit more, but still a lot of those programs are run with very strong support and direction from Congress. And that happens in a couple of ways. One with the authorizing statutes, where Congress specifically says, here's why we want this program to exist. But then also with each year's appropriations process, where they provide funding and tell the agency specifically what they want that funding to be used for. And what we've seen over the past several years is that Congress has kind of really stepped up on their appropriations details in part because the administration, the Trump administration's budget proposals would have eliminated or significantly shrunk so many programs. And Congress has really been, again, staying the course, especially on, again, specifically speaking to a lot of the science and innovation and entrepreneurship initiatives. And so since we are going to be looking at Democratic administration and still looking at a divided government, you know, one of the key things I think that we're going to be looking for is to what extent Congress continues to have that role where they're taking, frankly, a much stronger role in a lot of ways than what we've seen from the executive branch for over the past several years and dictating what these programs are going to look like and how much money they're going to spend. If they continue to have that strong level of involvement, the effects for a lot of the programs, again, built to scale, small business innovation research, the FAST program that some of the ones that are important to Delaware here might not see very many changes. Uh, there'll be new staff coming in, but they may be operated in similar ways. Another important office for science and lab to market types of policies is the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. Most likely there will be a lot more staff turnover there, probably entirely new staff. So you could be looking at several months before that gets into place. There's obviously going to be a delay to figure out exactly what the makeup of the Senate is. There are special elections happening in Georgia and then you're going to have to have staff appointments and with if the Senate does stay in Republican control, which it looks like, you know, maybe likely, then there's going to be probably a lot more jockeying to determine exactly who some of those appointees are going to be. So you can see a little while before some of those changes really work down all the way. So largely, I think we'll see similar policies coming um, in terms of operations. I think you'll be able to see a lot of uh, staying the course and similar policies. I don't know if you want to talk more about what the actual proposals are that Biden has and ways that they might change, or if you prefer to get into that later.
0: Yeah, I want to go right there, actually. I mean, the president-elect has an agenda when it comes to innovation and entrepreneurship. I wonder if you could unpack it for us a little bit and maybe handicap it a little bit in terms of some of those variables you talked about. What's kind of most likely, what are the priorities that you see?
1: Right. So what I was just laying out was, again, more on the operation side, existing initiatives. There are certainly opportunities that you would hope to see when you have a new administration for New legislation, new priorities, new initiatives to come up. The Biden campaign released a lot of proposals that I think many of the people involved in innovation entrepreneurship would be really excited about to see implemented. One of the biggest is that there was a kind of American competitiveness plan that combines a lot of manufacturing and innovation R&D focused resources. And the campaign put that at a $300 billion plan. That includes things like new R and D, particularly going through 50 new tech hubs around the country, Um, additional investments in historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, so that they could have access to more tech transfer entrepreneurship resources. Like you see at some other universities, investments in new advanced research project agencies. So if you've heard of ARPA-E or DARPA, Defense and Energy, those types of initiatives, they'd like to create those for health and then also to focus on climate change, like Bill was speaking to earlier. Um, Expanding SBIR and expanding the Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program that supports small and mid-sized manufacturers. And on the entrepreneurship side, I mentioned how important capital access issues are earlier, and the Biden campaign um, supported... Actually, in two different places in their platform at two different levels. So it's a little bit confusing to sort through at the moment, but um, relaunching the state small business credit initiative. So that was a very important program in the last recession, something that we've been advocating to see continued. provides federal funds to state government initiatives that help provide capital access to entrepreneurs working through a private bank or other investors about 40% of the money went to investment funds. So it could be used a lot for new tech and innovation-driven businesses. Uh, it could also be used to um, expand regular borrowing capacity. So that's a lot there that I just laid out that the campaign proposed. As I mentioned, you've got divided Congress. So that's certainly possibly going to slow some things down. Some of those initiatives have bipartisan support. In particular, you, we've seen a lot of proposals coming from Congress, including bipartisan proposals to expand R&D, including through new regional hubs. And so there does seem to be some momentum around that idea. Um, HBCUs have gotten a lot more, at least, um, verbal support to be able to receive more resources. So I think there'd be a lot of support there. And things like that state small business credit initiative, though, have, have not had bipartisan support. So I think that might be one that's going to need more political capital to get through. We're not saying that it's not possible, but it's we're going to have to see it be a relatively high priority to be able to pass. I think it's also, again, important to note that Congress has been doing a lot of really important work. You've seen Senator Coons taking the lead not only on the SBAR bill I mentioned, but also to renew the Manufacturing USA centers. Getting that reauthorized through last year's Defense Act was really important. That same bill ultimately was able to reauthorize the Build-to-Scale program that we talked about earlier. Um, People like Senator Moran, um, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, there are a number of offices that are also trying to take the lead, and they're going to be interested in trying to advance a lot of important legislation. You've got obviously possible stimulus related to COVID, NSFs coming up for reauthorization, EDA is beyond its reauthorization point, and hopefully it's something Congress will take a look at doing SBA as well.
0: I wonder the panel, other panelists, if, if there are things that you heard there that made you perk up a little bit. And Bill, one thing I'm thinking about is that there's likely to be a different space for science in, in the incoming administration. And I know you you sit on some science boards. Uh, what from that perspective are, do you think you personally and organizations like those you are affiliated are, are kind of looking forward to or expecting
3: yeah, <clears throat> well, one is just the, the, the general passion and, and energy and excitement to return to evidence based policy making, right? That people who are experts are trusted and not dismissed, right? So, so when we sit and chat, right? You know, that's that's such a strong framework, and and there's many programs out there, you know, that, that are helpful with things like that. One is getting as we I think Jason already admitted to you know the right people appointed. And political parties, but there's still like a great wealth of expertise within the government employees and their morale has somewhat been devastated in essence, just to refresh that, right? It's just going to be pretty awesome. And in some ways, you know, the president wants to do certain things and Biden's going to have a similar challenge of, you know, you've got to work with Congress, right? I mean, Trump wanted to dissolve the EDA and get rid of EDA, R&D, EPA, R&D funding and so forth and so on. None of that happened. Most actually R and D funding actually increased during Trump's administration, for because Congress made that happen, right? Even though Trump's budget said to go the opposite direction. So it'll be an interesting pathway here to get some of these things done. But again, with some of the the in the right position, we'll definitely get some early momentum. But it really is that collaborative spirit that again, you know, people are excited by that. You know that that Biden's you know leading charge on, you know you've got to cross the the party aisles, right? You just can't say, the science is not a not a Democrat or or a Republican issue, right? It's 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 a fundamental, you know, issue a fundamental right for us to, to deploy effectively in service to the people all over the world, right? So, so I think you know that's just just getting the right people in the right places, and again returning just to uh, the roots of evidence based policy you know, work is very exciting.
0: And Bill, you mentioned this before, kind of the, the idea of the Biden Halo, and many of us are just mere miles away from where the transition's underway. So I wonder if if folks have thoughts on things that are already happening or, you know, opportunities you see in the near or longer-term future to kind of capitalize on that halo effect, as you put it.
4: I can take that one, Troy. I mean, our, our organization is, is definitely very aware. Of that opportunity, and as an organization that is tasked with selling and marketing Delaware to the business community globally, I think it's a it's an awesome opportunity, and so we're um, we've got definite plans to take advantage of that and really weave that into um, our marketing and other programs in the ne- in the coming years.
2: And, and and you know, I can add to that. I, I think the the Biden halo effect will be helpful for Delaware. Um, But one thing to point out, I think Delaware has been on um, the national stage and leadership roles for a number of these initiatives, even before that. So this this can only make things better. But I even look at, um, for instance, our National Association of Small Business Development Centers, our state director is a leader there and the, the leader of the technology interest group. So when you combine you know, positions that we already hold now with the fact that, you know, there's some additional stronger leadership coming from Delaware. I think it makes for a good recipe there. Also, if you think about um, Senator Coons and his position and the strong leadership he provides to the Appropriations Committee and to the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Committee, um, I think adding to that the fact that um, our president is from Delaware, I mean, it strengthens his position potentially from a leadership standpoint in the Senate. And so we've already been on the national stage, and I think um, this, this will just make all things better.
3: And maybe one more thing to mention is, the, you know, the made in America part. When you think about innovation and opening up new markets, a lot of times we're developing new technology. It's hard to get directly to the commercial market from step number one, but this made in America hopefully will help us fuel where the government is your purchaser. The government as a first market is actually many times a very critical piece of, you know, new innovations. Look at all this stuff, of course, that went into the NASA program, right, in the moon launch that so wound up coming into the commercial sectors thereafter. So I think that piecing, and that's a piece that's been both endorsed by Republicans and Democrats in different ways for years, right? So I think that, you know, there are things like that that can be brought to bear to be very, very helpful here as well. And then combine that with, of course, intensifying you know, the SBR and RD efforts, and you've got fuel, Feel for a, a really nice uh, fire here that warms warms us in, in the right ways. Kind of adding to that, I would hope that the um, people from Delaware
1: who maybe have the ear of the next administration have, have this great opportunity. I would love to see that that be used to really grow the pie. So, you know, we talk about in terms of these political programs, you're either trying to grow your share of the pie, you're trying to grow the pie overall. And certainly for um, as someone who sits with the national perspective, but then also I think in Delaware's long-term interests, if, you know, the administration can be persuaded to make the bigger investment. And it seems like it's not going to take much persuasion based on the policies that I outlined before, but expanding investments overall and then figuring out within that, how does Delaware become more competitive? That lays a framework to be able to continue to have these resources available in the future for the state, you know, even beyond a Biden presidency, as well as obviously helping other areas of the country too.
0: Jason, uh, Bill hit on something there when he was talking about NASA. And uh, I wonder if, you know, when you were talking about all the potential programs that are part of the agenda, I don't want people to get lost in the in the weeds necessarily. But is one of the fundamental goals kind of more of a mission driven approach to innovation from the incoming administration? Is that your sense compared to kind of where we might have been in the current administration?
1: I guess I'm not I'm not positive if that's uh, the way that I would. Characterize it. I I think that's, you know, certainly Bill's point that he was making earlier about having more evidence-based policy approach. I think you're definitely going to see that. I think you're going to see some different priorities as well, possibly coming through in science. Certainly I mentioned that the new administration has an emphasis clearly on climate science in particular and has talked about making major new investments in innovative health research. You know, I will say it's some of the if you look at what defense and the White House Office of Science, and Technology Policy put out in terms of their priority areas to really coordinate the country's research around, it was in a lot of areas that I think you'll see agreement. I mean, they're talking about new focus on biotech, um, 5G, AI, quantum information. You know, I think that those are going to be priorities with us for a little while. So th- you're certainly going to see shifts, particularly in the climate section. I think that's fair to say, but overall, I think there'll be some consistency and topics
0: and I want to take us from the national level to we've also got transitions at the more local level and Ariel you referred to this earlier on we've got you know new faces in the general Assembly and I wonder what you think that might mean for efforts you're all engaged in and things you might have to take on uh, to, to engage them
4: I think it's a great opportunity um, I mean we we have I think it's the largest historically LGBTQ representation at the state level in Delaware this year. We have a lot, lar- I don't know if it's the largest, but um, a definitely a significant contingency of, of women candidates who won their election. So I think that equity issue is certainly front and center in addition to um, the COVID situation and everything we talked about earlier. But um, I think the the turnover is Always a good opportunity to make sure that we are communicating and have those relationships developed with our state and local reps so that they understand the importance of these programs um, and how as at a state level, we can continue to um, support the sector of our economy. And I think Del- Delaware as a state is similar to other states and Danita can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the small businesses make up somewhere in the 90% of of employment in the state. And so really focusing on um, maintaining that level of support for our small business. And then for the more, you know, complicated kind of uh, landscape sometimes that comes with the the innovation economy, taking the time to do things like this today, where we're really just kind of providing a primer for The local audience on, on how this all works and kind of demystifying it a little bit so that people feel like they can understand it and communicate about it. And then therefore, when an issue comes up that might be, you know, perceived as kind of at odds with the ability for innovation to, to grow at the state level that we have, we have that dialogue already going with our, with our representatives. And I know. I know for sure um, I've had some conversations already with some of those some of those incoming senators and they're they're very interested and supportive and want to continue to advocate for the growth of our innovation economy in Delaware.
0: Danita, do you have anything to add on, on that in terms of communicating to the, the new faces?
2: I'm um, sure. So um, th- throughout our whole history. So we've been around 35 years and. During that time, um, the state has been a financial supporter from the administrative level, but also from the Joint Finance Committee, the General Assembly. And so our state director is in direct communication uh, with uh, members of the assembly. And what we like to do is communicate um, statewide. We're a statewide agency. So we communicate what our results are statewide, what Our priorities are statewide and we look for and communicate what the alignment is in those areas. And so even if you look at um, this conversation about uh, innovation, we are keenly aware of how innovation can affect our rural communities through ag tech initiatives and the like, which Ariel is a a huge leader in um, galvanizing the state around that issue. Um, so we we keep a, a keen eye on what is important to our communities and as such, what's important to our general assembly members. And our job is to serve. So um, we, we keep we communicate how we've served and what those results are. And I think that keeps us um, at the forefront enough for the assembly to say, OK, yeah, that's that's um, something we should continue to support in the way of a program.
0: And Danita, you mentioned one aspect of equity, this rural communities piece. And uh, Ariel, you, you hit on the, the need, you know, increasing need to focus on social equity. Anything I'm going to ask now, we've got 10 minutes, so we can't do it due justice in, in 10 minutes. But can you hit on uh, a little bit of what's already ongoing to try to address some of these e- equity considerations around innovation and entrepreneurship and, and where you think some opportunities are in the near term to lean into that?
2: Sure. So I know for us, the SBA has bought into the, the concept of inclusion. And again, they're, they're asking SBDCs to work closer with our HBCUs. And so for us in Delaware, that's Delaware State University. Um, we had always enjoyed a close working relationship with, the, with DSU. But now um, we're seeing the SBA saying, yeah, that's something we want. We want you to report on it, measure it. And so we're looking to strengthen our relationships there because it's a priority at the federal level and it's always been a priority for us. Um, DSU also is in Kent County, which helps with the the rural outreach there. Also, from um, uh, the standpoint of equity and innovation, the Delaware Technology Park is expanding into a new fintech center. And even though it's all high tech and the like, there's a component of even that initiative that focuses on um, fintech solutions in the banking and financial sector for low to moderate income communities. And so it's all about, you know, how do you get innovation out into the community to create positive change and positive impact, whether it's inner city, low to moderate income, rural communities. And um, our fintech center will definitely be a hub for that kind of innovation and connection to the community.
4: Yeah, just so just from our perspective, um, it's really, you know, a lot of what we do is support the, the programming that's already, um, underway or kind of um, encouraging new programming, um, that our partners implement. So we really have brought to the forefront that issue of providing a certain percentage of those sort of sponsorship dollars or, uh, partnership activities with Groups that are supporting underrepresented founders. So Gary Johnson's First Founders Accelerator, for example, that's gotten underway and um, provides a, a boot camp type experience and other support for underrepresented founders in Delaware and in the region. And we are planning with partner organizations, um, including Dell State and others, a startup funding competition for next year called Startup 302. And the focus there is for tech-enabled founders, underrepresented founders. Um, You'll be hearing some more about that uh, as our applications open up in the next couple of months. But we're very excited to have that particular focus um, because we think that's really important um, to grow and attract underrepresented founders here in Delaware and in our region and in the greater Philadelphia region. So that's, um, that's definitely high on our list. For um, how we use our the resources that we are provided from both the public and private sector is having equity and inclusion be be really front and center there.
0: And you know, pivoting to kind of thinking about uh, you know the next next year, next five and ten years, and beyond, we continue to be in crisis. Uh, we're in a transition that you know opens up the field and gets us thinking about some opportunities in the future. When you take a look at Delaware's innovation portfolio and your individual organizations and how you work together, you know to to better the opportunities here in the state and how they affect the nation. Uh, we hope. Are there focus areas you're looking to lean into more, or diversify away from or towards uh, as you think through the future of your organizations and the future of the state more broadly? If we could start with you, maybe, Bill.
3: Yeah, no, I mentioned a little bit a a while ago, but, you know, leaning in to to help bring resources and capabilities, you know, both we can house startups here as well as support people programmatically and through mentorship. But, you know, uh, pandemics, right? I mean, all this stuff, you know, cancer, right? We're going to lean into therapeutics and diagnostics pretty heavily. We already have companies with us that that are doing that, as well as companies that are with us already doing this as well. Renewables. Uh, basically taking CO2 and and, and and converting it into renewable fuels and chemicals, you know, and materials, uh, as well as renewable energy. So we have people working on, you know, creating new membranes W7 energy, you know, for hydrogen fuel cell cars. So really leaning into things that, that, that we used to call megatrends, right, but like climate change, right, curing disease. I mean... Things that are thrown our faces today in exponentially, you know, magnitudes today versus what, what, even where they once came from, as well as making sure we break down. I guess what I want to say the silos. Make sure that you know we have representation with all, all of our work processes. We have, our, you know, we have mentors. We have startups. We're constantly looking to say, you know, breaking down those those silos of you know who you know and you don't know who you don't know. Right, you know, in terms of making certain that we have, uh, you know, equal access to our capabilities for whoever's out there. Right. And and bring them to Delaware and show them that Delaware is the place that is inclusive and inspiring, you know, from, from any direction. So to me on the science side, definitely some key categories, but to, you know, trying to bring the capital and capabilities to, 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 to anyone who wants them, they just, we just need to also make them aware that we're here and we're open for business, uh, which we're still, only being three years old, you know, still working that that trajectory as well.
0: What does that interest look like right now, Ariel? And where where do you see it going in the future in terms of how DPP fo- focuses its efforts?
4: Yeah, so um, mirror in the science and tech sectors, mirroring very closely what what Bill talked about. But um, post COVID, and maybe it was already kind of going in this trajectory anyway, but got accelerated. We're certainly seeing more in the biopharma sector, asking about Delaware and coming in from outside the state to consider Delaware as either a a US location or an East Coast location for their business. So very visible uptick in that interest. Also some uptick in the sort of aquaculture area. So What we'll be doing is um, taking a deeper dive, no aqua pun intended there, um, next year to really look at the opportunities for um, what we call sort of a blue economy or or blue tech here in Delaware being um, a coastal state and having um, a great satellite campus um, at University of Delaware in Lewis right at the beach. Um, So, you know, we think we have in that area some great Components, but the question is, is it all going to kind of come together to really be, you know, that pinnacle of uh, what these companies are looking for when they, when they grow here? So those are a couple of areas. Obviously, just want to give a quick shout out to our partners at Delaware Bioscience Association. They play a huge role here, um, not just in bio per se, but just kind of bringing that science and tech community together regularly. Um, and the Delaware Sustainable Chemistry Alliance. You know we have such deep legacy here in the state from companies like DuPont being here over two hundred years. And it's really created a great foundation for growing new companies that have spun out from there. but also, um, I think we've kind of reached more of a critical mass of the the smaller and medium-sized companies that make up a lot of the really um, important jobs in the science and tech sector here. So, that's what we'll be focused on for the next couple of years.
0: And Janita, do you see capabilities that the SBDC is trying to expand on uh, in the next several years?
2: Yes. So again, I mentioned our uh, new fintech hub that will be coming out through the Delaware Technology Park, which is run by our state director and his role there. Again, the all of everything that Bill and Ariel mentioned are key um components of what we try to support on a regular basis, particularly through our SBIR resource program and our different ways we help with commercialization and capitalizing uh, businesses. So that will continue. Um, in addition, we have mandates concerning cybersecurity. So underlying all of this, whether it's from a water security standpoint, securing our technology, securing our infrastructure, um, cybersecurity is um, a place um, that the SBDC focuses and we provide training trainers nationwide for all SBDCs um, in America's SBDC, uh, which is our association. So you'll see more of that. So it's going to be some interesting, fun stuff to do.
0: And Jason, you're joining us, you know, as we're having this conversation about what do the opportunities look like? How do we continue to do better over time? What do you feel kind of SSTI brings to the conversation? What do they have to offer to support groups like ours that are thinking about doing better continuously?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I didn't mention before, but SSTi, we've been around since 1996. And so we've really seen a tremendous amount of change in what that process to get new ideas out of the lab and into the marketplace really looks like. And we've been tracking very thoroughly over that time what different states are doing. So certainly when it comes to talking about how you assess your region, what are those elements that you know I talked about before that are missing? Um, you know, those are conversations that we certainly love to have and can help provide some long-term advice and insight into what other states have tried in the past and why it may or may not have worked in that situation. and How it could be adapted to yours. You know, looking at the future, like you had mentioned, one, of, two of the things that we're increasingly looking at and talking about with our members. One is kind of within trying to bring more of this innovation-focused activity to the regions that don't have it happening naturally from the private sector thinking more critically about whether it's on a sector basis or in terms of the actual people who you're working with and working with minorities and women and veterans, trying to be more deliberate about not just trying to replicate what's happening in um, Silicon Valley and Boston with a specific you know, life sciences and IT focus, but you know, what can you really do to have that type of different impact that the private sector really isn't taken care of? That's one thing we've been talking about increasingly over the past I mean, it's been years now, but um, ramping up quite a bit. And the other one is on the workforce side, we're getting a lot more questions and concerns about how do you actually have people ready to take these jobs, able to take advantage of them. You know, to that end, I think lifelong learning, it's just increasingly clear that's going to be so important in having shorter based modules where people can develop new skills in a way that's going to be recognized. It's just so important. And me speaking personally, I guess, maybe not for SSTI, but I'll say I feel like we really missed an opportunity this year during the COVID crisis by not having that already in place. I mean, if we could have been while we were paying people not to be able to work from a safety standpoint, if we could have also had the ability for them to add skills while they had that downtime, just how many people could have been better equipped for an even better job coming out the other end of this as the economy recovers. And so you know, having that kind of system in place going forward is not just smart, I think, in a nutshell, but if we are, God forbid, in the situation where we're going to have these recurring health crises coming up occasionally, or flu season starts to get worse—you know, whatever it is—you know, that's the perfect kind of thing to be able to slide in there and really use it to help people, not just be the uh, maybe emotional drain that a lot of people are experiencing instead.
0: Well, Jason, thanks for those those last thoughts, and we're right at right at the end of our time here. And I want to thank attendees for joining today. Really want to thank the panelists today for joining, uh, Jason, Ariel, Danita, and Bill. Thanks for your time and reflections on what's what's going on in here in Delaware and what might, it might look like in the future. And really look forward to working with the panelists and the attendees that we're on uh, to kind of continue this conversation in the future. So thanks, everyone, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Consult the show notes for more information on the panelists and organizations featured in today's episode. And be sure to visit ipa.udel.edu for information on the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. Thanks again for tuning in to First State Insights. Reach out with any comments and be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. I hope you'll join us again soon.